Oh, I start. Okay. <laughs> well, their podcast name is yours first. <laughs> <Yeah> . I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And welcome back to On Air. Dan, you are in Thailand. That was supposed to be secret. Thank you very much. Uh, it's just us and the listeners. <laughs> okay. how, how, how We trust you guys. There? How, how is it? Yeah. It's good. I mean, Thailand is one of mine and Oscar's favorite places in the world. So we're very happy to be back. Every time I leave, genuinely, I am on the verge of tears. So we just love it so much. The people, the food, it's the best. If you haven't been, Thailand should be on the top of your list. It's much better than LA, in my opinion. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> They have okay. palm trees too. Apple and They have Ozempic too. <laughs> Apples and oranges. Okay, <laughs> I love Thailand. In, and what you just mentioned about the food, I do. You ever play that game where you're, you know, if you could only have X for the rest of your life. So of course, if, yeah. If you could only, when, when people say, if you could only have one cuisine every day for the rest of your life, what would that cuisine be? And my mm. answer almost always is. Thai food. Just, yeah. I love it. It's amazing. I mean, I've played this game so many times. If you grow up in a country that has a lot of international cultures baked in, you're used to eating a different cuisine for every meal, right? So yeah. just eating one, whatever it is, becomes quite monoton Wait, mono yeah. monotonous. <laughs> monotonous. <laughs> monotonous. That's what's so fun. I think being able to have like Mexican one meal, Thai the next, yeah. Chinese the next. But also, yeah. it's, in it's interesting what you said about when you... You think that you can have it forever. Oh, I love it so much that I, I could have it forever. But then you're right, isn't it? Do you ever find that, for example, when I'm in Italy and I'm there for a while, then I'm craving anything but pizza <laughs> and pasta yeah. after about 10 days. And similarly, when I'm somewhere else that is maybe more protein heavy and, and isn't focusing on pizza or pasta, then I'm craving that or, I, or yeah. I'll, I'll crave like the spiciness of of Thai or Pan-Asian food and, and yeah, so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no shade at all to Italian food. I love Italian food, but it's that's pretty. I mean, pasta and pizza, it's all just like a form of bread. It's flowers. So. Well, 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 well. As the as the as the medit as the Mediterranean on the podcast. Okay, I'm gonna stand up for the area and say that if your perception of Italian food is only it's our bread, it's, all... it's just our bread. There's so much. Positive. No, I know. That's I mean, the, eggplant dishes, for example, amazing. No, I mean, my point was just that at least I feel in Thailand. The, the food has like such a huge variety. You can have True. such different types of dishes that are still local. So anyway, we don't have to keep talking about this. We, I just want to- It's making me hungry. <laughs> I know. I want to remind everyone that we're doing a giveaway, of course, if you leave a review for the podcast and uh, you send us a screenshot on our social media, you can be entered to win all types of cool stuff like a first-class amenity kit from some really good airlines. You're able to send those screenshots to either myself or to Dan. And I know some yeah. have sent it to me wondering if, if, if Dan has, if they need to send to Dan also, but we are sharing it. It's in a centralized spreadsheet. We have the info. So it's going to reach either of us. We are seeing your, uh, 
your reviews. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you. So today we have some very important things to discuss, super interesting topics. Before we get into that, I just want to I want to know, has the Angelinoness faded? How is your jet lag coming back? Sorry, Dan, I, I couldn't hear you. I was just uh, drinking from a uh, another bottle of a fresh, that fresh oh crate God. of California water. You know, it's just, it's, it's uh, forget Evian in, in the, in, in France. Evian sucks. Uh, Evian is disgusting. I don't know who likes it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, Goodness. let's go. <laughs> uh, and our analytics and our listeners from France fall off of a cliff. Au revoir. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, uh, do you know what? You know what's interesting? Yeah. I have had zero jet lag. How cool is that? I, That's I crazy. I think I know why. I think because you remember, okay, less than 14 days ago when I arrived back from Montreal, it was a disaster in terms of the jet lag. I could not fall asleep at all until six seven in the morning which is the time that i had to get up that's when i wanted to sleep and of course the reason why i was falling asleep at six seven in the morning is because it was 10 in montreal meaning yeah. that's exactly when i was sleeping so that was crazy since la i've had no jet lag whatsoever and i put it down entirely to this firstly i drank water like a maniac and i, I think that does help but crucially, oh, you know, the California the, water, that's what helps, is it? It's that it's that fresh Hollywood Hills water. It just runs down. You past mean the, the drought filled, the drought ridden Hollywood Hills. Let me have the moment. Dan. <laughs> OK, we're talking about the other important stuff later. No, but crucially, crucially speaking, I think the reason I've had no jet lag and I, I, I do believe this works. So the flight back was a little over 17 hours and when I had departed Los Angeles, it was 2.45 p.m. local time in L.A. And so it was the middle of the afternoon and I had slept a normal night previously, so I wasn't specifically tired. But what I did do is go by Doha time immediately, which, of course, is not anything revolutionary. Many people are aware that in order to best adjust to the time zone that you are then traveling to, you should start to mimic and live by the time zone that, that you are actually on your way to. So I slept at the beginning of the flight, even though I was skeptical about whether or not I would be tired. Again, I have that sleep spray that I told you about. I'm like covering the, the bedding and, and so on. And then I, I slept. Essential and oils. the Yeah, it's, it's, it's lavender. Again, infused. who is most Angelino? <laughs> we, yeah. So, okay, I, I can't argue with any of this. So um, I finished my avocado toast and I, and I continued into a deep sleep and I slept. And what I did do is I then checked my phone and it said uh, some hours later that it was now 7.30 a.m. in Doha. And of course, where I was now airborne over somewhere, the, the routing we had taken back, I think heading towards the North Pole, it was now dark. It, the sun had just set. So it's the beginning of the night there. So as difficult as it was to fight the temptation to then fall into an even deeper sleep, I convinced myself it is now morning. So wake up and get your together and let's get on with the day. So yeah. I sat up, I ordered breakfast. I opened the uh, blind a little bit. Don't worry, I did not flood the cabin with any daylight while other passengers were sleeping. Sometimes if you mention that you're on a night, you're on a, a flight and you open that blind, it's like, oh my God, you were the reason we didn't sleep. This no, is a whole debate. No, no. Yeah, it, it, yeah but with, with sweet doors, 
it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really happen. So I ordered breakfast. I started my work day, thanks to the onboard Wi-Fi. I watched a series. I did everything that I should have. And I, I fought the ten temptation to sleep and I didn't sleep. And, I, and it was a bit of a struggle and I stayed awake the whole. So I land in Doha at around 5 p.m. local time and I have a normal late afternoon and evening and I sleep at a normal time and I wake up at a normal time and then that happens the next day and the next day and I conclude I did it. There was no jet lag. That's, so I do oof. think it was because of that resistance and I was able yeah. to, to you know, not sleep. I've, I've done 12 hour time differences twice and yeah. it is... It's brutal. The first time I did it last year, New York to Singapore nonstop. So, you know, Alex, one of our best friends, April Lynn, we always see her in Singapore, obviously. So we were like, we're coming to Singapore. We're going to see you. Please come over straight away. Actually, the next day after we landed, because we knew we'd need to rest. She comes to our hotel. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I have to sleep. I know it's 11 a.m., but I, I have to sleep. <laughs> So she just oh, hung man. out in our room while I was sleeping for two hours. Oscar somehow oh, managed man. to stay up, but I, it was brutal. So we, we were like, we have to go. Yeah. We didn't have a, we were supposed to go to Bangladesh because this was when we were traveling to, our goal was to travel to hundred countries, which we completed. We didn't end up making it to Bangladesh, even though we, even though we had flights there, but we were like, we cannot stay in a time zone even close to this. So we just fled two days later, book a flight to the Middle East. At least there will be like a nine hour time difference instead of 12 and then your body knows which direction to go in because that's really important i think when it's 12 hours your body is like so do i go east or west and west yeah, yeah. west is or and i would imagine yeah, this is, is but i would imagine that this is particularly difficult for you because what time do you usually sleep at night <laughs> we like going to bed around 10 10 10 30 we've we used to be more extreme i was a wild 21 year old i would go to sleep at 9 30 get up at 6 sorry <laughs> 9 30 p.m get up at 6 a.m oh no 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 i i i heard what you i heard what you said um i'm just sorry <laughs> <laughs> and with that let's get into the topic let's talk about something serious today's podcast today we have a lot of juicy topics these are things that okay there, there was actually one big thing in the news alex that you tweeted about and it was quite shocking to a lot of people including me what was it well interestingly it wasn't in the news uh, i kind of you made it news. <laughs> to the news yeah and this cause i've been getting those google alerts that this has been in a few articles around the world but basically this is something that i started to hear more of this year this is definitely now I think categorically a trend. I have received enough data on this, spoken to enough airlines, and essentially Ethiopian Airlines is now one of many airlines that have become the latest to keep full cabin lights on during overnight flights on specific routes. So That's these crazy. are flights where typically you're going to be sleeping. Passengers will be familiar with the fact that the lights will probably be on if there's unless there's mood lighting, you know, but some form of lighting will probably be on the beginning of the flight, you know, shortly after takeoff, a service and so on. But then on these night flights, the cabin will go very dark pretty quickly, depending on the airline, but on the whole, pretty quickly. Ethiopian Airlines has become the latest airline to keep these full cabin lights on. When I say full, we're talking the brighter setting. So you might be wondering why. And that is because they are seeing a sharp increase in onboard theft. 
And these theft incidents are occurring the moment the cabin is dark. So under the cover of darkness, there are individuals on board who are targeting other passengers by either rummaging around in the overhead lockers and stealing from the cabin bags on board or elsewhere on the aircraft. And it's happening so much that now airlines are having to take action by keeping the cabin lights on the entire flight, which is not pleasant for anybody. And most recently, I know that this is active on the Addis Ababa to Dubai route. And the data tells me that it's happening, particularly in business class, where there are fewer passengers in the cabin. So fewer passengers to be able to notice what is happening. And perhaps you have a passenger either who was already in business class or entering quietly from economy and making their way in and then stealing. This is happening quite a bit. And the scary thing is when I tweeted this out, I received even more DMs about, oh, yep, this happened to me. Oh, this happened to my brother. Yeah, really? this is crazy. No one's talking about this. I mean, do have you heard of this? Prior to this, did you have any experience? I hope not, but... Wow. I mean, luckily, knock on wood, I've never had anything stolen on a plane. I, I'm careful. I have one of those roller bags I bring on board with a lock. So, of course, I always lock the bag when I'm not using it. I feel like there would be some very easy solutions the airline could implement instead, or Airbus or Boeing. So here's the thing. Surveillance cameras on board, that's a bit of a controversial topic. But many airlines do have cameras surveying at least the cabin as a whole. But why are those cameras not see in the dark? There's very basic facial detection technology you can install nowadays. What if it just, it's all, okay, someone's standing up, the cabin's dark, it's a night camera, and you can very easily track what they're doing. It's difficult. I mean, the I have not been hyper aware specifically on aircraft because i would say that you know me i'm pretty hyper aware in all scenarios (laughs) in terms of even just walking down the street of london or paris with your phone in front of you is nowadays like uh, i watched a, a news talk show panel and they were discussing how one mobile phone is snatched from a person in the city of London, something like every 75 seconds, something crazy like that. And they concluded, well, yeah, she had her phone out while she was walking as if, you know, somehow, oh, she was asking for it, you know, is is the normalization of this. So I'm not specifically hyper aware in the aircraft cabin, but my only kind of awareness of it was years ago, maybe 11 or 12 years ago on a very dark night flight, really long night flight, from Dubai to Melbourne, it was one of the first flights that was actually going non-stop and Emirates were not doing the stop in Singapore on that route. And it was very, very dark. And of course, back then we were not as cashless in society as we we are Mm. now. And so I was traveling. It was just me and my my twin sister. We were very young. Shout out to Debbie. (laughs) Yeah, we were going to stay with family. And some of it was with me literally at the seat area in my bag there and a little bit more was in the overhead locker bag directly above me and I can remember being in a deep sleep and waking up to this guy in complete darkness rummaging in the locker above me and thinking oh my god what this is mad he could have easily have taken anything you know and I was a kid and I was yeah. anyway it was all fine no, nothing had happened but you know it was very very dark nobody really bats an eyelid about what other passengers are getting up to 
on board. That's no, bad. no. Why? I mean, okay. One piece of advice. I think if you're not traveling with a bunch of cash, which yeah. why is anyone doing that? A few hundred dollars is fine for visa fees, whatever, where you're going. But I just find it strange when you hear people have had like a hundred thousand dollars in cash stolen. You're like, what? Yeah, that's a bit. <laughs> of course, your passport is the most important thing you have when you're traveling. Yeah. I always keep it in my pocket, like especially during landing and takeoff, you want that on you in case you have to evacuate. That's on your body right away. I just have an anecdote that's not really aviation related, but you reminded me of it a few months ago when I was in New York. I was at a lunch meeting and uh, we were at this restaurant in Greenwich Village. It had like outdoor dining and I have a habit of just putting my phone on the table. So we were on the sidewalk. My phone was, I just left it there, which is stupid of me, of course. And then this guy, clearly under the influence of some drugs and whatever, he wasn't in very good shape. He starts strolling by and I see how he's just eyeing my phone. So luckily I noticed that and I'm like, ooh. So I took my phone, put it in my pocket and he flipped. He started shouting at me like, again with the effing phones slur 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 i i just sort of got tunnel vision i was so focused on him i was going into fight mode because i was like this guy is really like threatening so i need to be prepared it was it was super unpleasant and then he left after yelling his 10 slurs and whatever and then i just looked around and i noticed like oh wow there's 20 other people here with me who hopefully would have helped if anything happened but just something little like me having left my phone there to start with, me noticing him staring at it, of course I'm going to remove it. But then that triggered him to start going on a tirade. Well, that, I mean, that's, I, I'm, as you know, I'm completely hyper aware. I don't, as you say, I, I do not care how it looks. If it, if it looks like, as you just said, if it looks like that I've just put it away because I had one second of doubt that, that yeah. the phone was potentially at risk from anyone. You know, it, it doesn't matter because the reality is, is that the normalization of that kind of theft is, is rife and is increasing. There's something that's linked to onboard theft, right? That I want to ask you about. I see this constantly and I can't, understand how people are comfortable doing this when you go into a business or first class lounge typically the majority of passengers there are solo travelers especially if you are traveling outside of typical holiday peak seasons for example we're in october now the lounges in most airports are are full of solo travelers okay i am always shocked to see a passenger enter the lounge Go find that seat, grab that drink, get comfortable, and then leave all of their belongings and go, I don't know, to the bathroom, to the buffet in another room. But, and I'm like, how? In what other area of society would they feel comfortable doing that? They leave everything. And then you have that awkward thing where if you don't want to leave everything, you've just set up and then you need to go to the bathroom and you take your hand luggage, you take your you take your bag, you take everything. So you look like you're leaving. Yeah, you're not. You're just and you want to just not leaving your belongings. Yeah. And you want to keep the seat. And it's like, well, I mean, do you leave your stuff? If I was alone, which I rarely am, luckily, when I'm traveling nowadays. But if I was, I would put everything in my bag, lock it and then leave it there. Because 
someone it's unlikely someone's going to go fiddling with my lock because it's very obvious they're not going to steal the entire big roller bag which also has an I air mean, if tag that, if they're flying with <laughs> if they're flying with an airline with a generous luggage allowance yeah well i have an air tag as it bag. is you've just told everyone and don't worry guys i i filled it with all my other valuables because i put everything <laughs> in one bag talk about eggs in one basket <laughs> but like if you're going to well, the I'll, buffet, I'll, I'll set up that's what's crazy if well, you're, you just want to go get a little bit of food and then it's like you not you don't <laughs> I eat. eat i will not eat buffet food <laughs> in the lounge food that has sat there under a hot light for six hours that everyone has, has been breathing on and had a oh, conversation stop. over forget that i was i, I would never go near okay I, it depends on the lounge i am no if a la carte fine but these, these open buffets this should be banned i mean please for god's sake just cover the food you would think the pandemic would have woken them up to you know a good standard of food hygiene and i love the fact that many lounges still have the kind of order and on demand and whatever in order to not look like i've lost the seat especially in these crowded lounges i will like set up on the table i'll set up drinks i don't even drink like i'll set up a fanta with like and i'll half pour it a little bit and, and then you know but you know that's, and then i'll put mm, like a, that can mean if if it's a lounge with proactive cleaning staff that doesn't help like the other week in turkey yeah. when i was flying with my mom and my aunt we had bought starbucks we literally just bought it went into the lounge went to get food the cleaning lady came and took everything throughout all our entirely full starbucks cups because she's like it's trash oh. these people have left we're like what are you doing so afterwards we but couldn't why, why were you all why what? were you all away from okay okay i have to be honest i was horrible everyone except me went and i wasn't paying attention <laughs> so... oh my god and here you are on the podcast trying to suggest that it's <laughs> in any way the fault of the of the lovely cleaning lady no, no, no. I, she was doing that. a great job because she was very proactive and just keeping everything yeah, it was you that was like daydreaming <laughs> I know I was busy recording so I wasn't noticing what on earth I just thought okay she's cleaning away some trash and then she also cleared all our Starbucks which is obviously a waste of money down the drain let's move on from this theft I hate theft I hate the idea of it I hate I mean everyone does but I it just yeah. really freaks me out so I I don't the like that's why the reaction the reaction on Twitter was quite interesting of how people were were like what this happens on an aircraft like people were were quote tweeting it saying and you know reason number 5012 of my concern list went <laughs> flying well I wanted to ask you something that's been in the news and this is a kind of rolling debate across the aviation sector as to whether or not it's happening do you think as we speak now in October 2023 there are airlines be it low cost or major airlines that are still hiring cabin crew based on appearance specifically based on whether they are attractive enough to be to be on board because so, i mean i'm interested to know what so, yeah what what do you think of this such a sneaky way of asking that question when we both very well know that some airlines we fly a lot it's very common practice in many parts of the world not necessarily the europe's and the us and the down unders of the world but in most parts of the world that's still the reality it's just a question of to what extent do they do it and does it matter what i find so interesting about this debate is the fact that some people think of course we need to think about the appearance of the cabin crew yes the presentation 
is, of course, important. You need to show up professionally dressed. Fine to express yourself, but maybe don't come on board with blue hair and purple lipstick. There need to be some sort of standards. What do you think? I mean, there's, there's now a fine line between how airlines are, are approaching this because you've got, you've got also the airlines that have a very, very fine line between what they want their crew to look like in terms of the level of them being attractive and the highest of standards of what they refer to as grooming standards and and their appearance so think of singapore airlines it's very well documented and not just that i mean they've been they, they, they there are documentaries that focus on how you have that um i forget her, her name that the lady who works in singapore airlines in charge of this she's been there for decades and she's kind of doing a a modern day version of what tyra banks used to yes. do 20 years ago and she's saying like she's saying jennifer you need to cut your hair and if like, you know, there's know tears yeah. and, there's, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and this still continues you yeah. know and then it's like and then and it goes the same to the guys they're saying to the to the guys you know you need to get to grips with what for example concealer is and they're shrugging their shoulders in some scenarios or in some scenarios that they're, they're very well accustomed to it and then you have airlines on, on the on complete other ends of the spectrum so you've got those that say these are our uniform standards we expect our crew to appear in a certain way in order to reflect professionalism and on the other end of the scale you've got airlines for example virgin atlantic who are doing whatever they can to say that um, uniform is an outdated term in terms of standards and they should be presentable but also be able to express themselves in any way shape or form and be it with for example as you just mentioned blue hair or or, or visible tattoos and so on and so on and then you are mixing that with cultures where in some cultures tattoos are frowned upon but but maybe perhaps not the culture of where the airline is based and so they want to be more progressive in that sense so it's something that the industry is, is continuing to to grapple with we should just say in pretty much all of asia the middle east africa parts of latin america appearance is highly taken into account when they're hiring yeah. crew, especially female crew. So the thing that makes me uncomfortable is the how it harkens back to the idea at Pan Am, for example, was Pan that... Pan Am. I was literally thinking the same. It's Pan Am. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. But the idea was literally that this flight attendant is supposed to be single and available. So she's at your disposal. That was literally yeah. the suggestion in the marketing. You were not allowed to be married or be in a relationship. There were very strict appearance standards. And the ads centered around that. And it just makes me uncomfortable to think that that mindset still lingers in some people that besides this person providing good service, there needs to be this sexual undertone, which I'm like, can we just move on from this? And it's funny. And now you just referring to that quite correctly makes me wonder, is this why Virgin Atlantic, for example, is putting in extra effort into becoming more open and progressive? Is it because typically if we, we had to think of an airline that was pretty adamant of the concept of sex sells, mm. it was Virgin Atlantic and these kind yes. of red hot flights as they used to stay. <laughs> yeah. And you, they would do these and advertisements. And they had in flight. Back exactly. In the day. Yeah. I mean, imagine that now. It's just it, it wouldn't be a thing. And, and the lines that would be crossed. And I'm sure lines were crossed. I mean, of course, they yeah. were, you know, back then. But it was a different way of. It was it was a different world. I can remember sitting in on a on a board meeting. I can't say what the airline was, but it was a European low cost carrier. And this was years ago. And they were ultimately tasked with looking at whether or not one of the European airline low cost subsidiaries of that group was literally 
only hiring what they were describing as models because mm. it was very i mean you were not going on a flight without the crew being supermodel-esque that is something that was brought to the attention of board members and i think that the verdict was that it was a bit of an issue and so they had kind of figured out what the processes were who the recruitment agency was because very often airlines don't recruit directly they're recruiting via third party or contracted agency and we we still see you know we still see examples of this cropping up i mean kuwait airways was recently in the news over accusations on how it recruits because they were using a spanish cabin crew recruitment agency and they had asked one cabin crew to ultimately strip down to underwear in the in order to in order to inspect as to whether or not she was going to be physically suitable and of course kuwait positioned themselves far away from this saying this is not our policy this is something that the contracted agency took into their own hands the contracted agency were kind of ready to point at the airline as to say but we were we we were you know pushed on checking the appearance and physicality and so on and so on in the end it wasn't really clear who was to blame maybe the maybe just that it's just as you say something that lingers in the background and it, you know it was it was the wrong day at the wrong time and and this all ended up happening with a third party company in spain yeah i mean an, the most unashamed airline i think who still completely sexualizes their staff as Vietjet, a low-cost airline from Vietnam. I remember flying them a few years ago. The in-flight magazine, the cover, was a quote-unquote flight attendant in a bikini. But sometimes it's amazing having, you know, an older person taking care of you who can almost feel like, you know, a grandma taking care of you with that love and affection that someone only that age can give, like a more this sort is, of This caring... is sounding very, very Gen Z. I mean, basically but... you're saying you would appreciate this seniority and the experience of some, some are able to use that to, to absolutely shine in terms of service, right? Yeah. And this brings us nicely into, into the next kind of headline that's been bouncing around the sector and the news headlines in the last week. And it links because maybe we as passengers and you guys the listeners of passengers are also being assessed or wanting to be assessed by crew or by the airlines rather sorry in terms of you uh, being um, the the physical optimum passenger for, for the airlines and and i say that because airlines are consistently looking for ways to reduce the weight of aircraft in order to increase fuel efficiency we know this but a new study and this is by an analyst and Bloomberg are carrying this, has focused on the fact that a future of lighter passengers in terms of weight as a result of the recent boom in these buzzy weight loss drugs will ultimately help airlines save millions per year. The heavier the aircraft is, the harder the engines have to work, the, the more fuel that is required. And fuel is, is ultimately the single largest overhead for airlines. As a society, if we are becoming heavier, then more fuel is required and airlines are having to spend more. There's been a lot of backlash on this, but this, this analyst, um, and again, this has been carried by Bloomberg, has basically been saying that maybe a future of of the recent boom of these Ozempics, these Wagovi, these other weight loss drugs, which are helping passengers and helping people, sorry, shed weight, is going to be great news for the airlines. And it's something for the airlines to get excited about because we're all going to be lighter and it means the airlines are going to save fuel. And again, this opens up this age old debate on whether or not 
Should we be weighing passengers? How accurate are the norms today in terms of what each passenger is factored in at weighing in terms of the overall weight of the cabin and so on and so on to help the flight crew make the calculations as to weight and balance and fuel? Yeah, I would love to spread this message. And you guys listening, please spread this message too, that there's always sensationalist stories in the news like Air New Zealand has started weighing passengers and that's the headline. And then you're like, oh, oh my gosh, that's horrible without understanding why they're doing it. So in New Zealand, for example, there's a law that the airline every five or 10 years has to weigh their passengers to figure out the new average weight of their passengers because they need to know fuel costs, fuel burn. It, It helps with all manner of safety issues as well, knowing how much the average passenger weighs. I think Korean Air was also in the news for this recently. The airline then goes, but it's voluntary. It's okay. You only need to do it if you want to. To me, that defeats the whole purpose because if weighing is voluntary, there's going to be a huge bias toward people who are slimmer who don't mind getting weighed. And then the data will be skewed. Do you want to live? I mean, do you want to live in a world where airlines are going to be enforcing mandatory weighing of passengers? If, if people understand the purpose and it's done over a period of, let's say, one month, they get an email beforehand that we are collecting data. Every passenger will be anonymously weighed. The data will not be tied to them. No one else at the airport, you know, no one will be able to see it just for statistics so they can update their internal data. That's really important. And it's important that they get accurate so where, numbers. Where are they going to where where are they going to be weighed? If, if Are you talking about that they would they would be weighed at the airport somewhere in private? I mean, it needs to be either a check-in or at the gate. The gate would cause a lot of delays. Do you really believe, I mean, do you really believe we're going to be, I, I get, I mean, this is about data. You were not talking about the individuals. You're saying to the passenger, this is actually not about you. This is about the fact that airlines have to work on accurate, reliable data. And this absolutely makes sense, especially given the tight margins that airlines work towards in profit. But but I, I, want, to, I want to go back because you're on it. I mean, do you really think there's going to be a chance that the airline will be able to enforce and say, oh, don't worry, we've let you know a week before, no one's gonna look or laugh or notice you, but because we are collecting data, you have to comply. So get ready to step on those scales. <laughs> as you said, airlines are already doing this. Korean Air was weighing passengers, as you correctly said, before boarding to comply with the local laws that required it to collect updated data. But it was still, it was still voluntary. I mean, they were still not doing, not putting passengers through. Do you not think that there are going to be listeners thinking, Dan, air travel is horrendous as it is. And now you want me to step on the scales before my holiday or or even worse, after my holiday? Okay, so would you rather have your actual weight recorded or... I would guess, obviously this is not public, but in the case of Korean Air, let's say you have 10 passengers, two refuse to be weighed. Maybe there's a reason they don't want to be weighed. I, I don't know how to delicately talk about this, but in that case, the airline has to account for that missing data. So then maybe they estimate instead. They go, okay, well, this person didn't want to be weighed, but we're going to write 100 kilos just to mitigate all these super small skinny people who are weighed because otherwise the data is ruined. So somehow they have to account for that either by estimating the people who don't want to be weighed or 
yeah, I don't know how they do it. It would be interesting to to hear someone from an airline talk about the exact process and the numbers. Or maybe, I mean, or maybe it should just be a wider conversation about society and less about airlines. You know, maybe if governments put more effort into being able to ensure that as a society we are healthier, then in turn, everyone's going to benefit the airlines and the surgeries and the waiting lists and the doctors and so on and so on. So yeah, maybe it's, it's actually not an aviation conversation. I'm just seeing this flag up to change, to, to move on quickly to this subject. I'm just seeing this flag up now. So I'll read this to you for the first time as well as listeners. So this has just popped up on my screen now. Carry on baggage fees. So the fees to take on hand luggage could soon be a thing of the past as the European Union is now looking to simplify ticket pricing for air travel. So the Parliament's Committee on Petitions has just unanimously adopted a resolution that calls on airlines to guarantee that passengers can carry cabin baggage free of charge and this urges countries to enforce a ruling on hand luggage made by the european court of justice back in 2014 so a vote on whether or not this resolution is going to be adopted is going to take place this month for passengers this is good news we have seen in society how these kind of resolutions can be successful I take you to the most recent example. It is the very reason, and I'm speaking about the European Union and the Commission, it's the very reason why Apple's iPhone 15 yes. currently has USB-C. <laughs> I mean, that the Europe as a, as a block were able to say, this is ridiculous. Everybody has too many different charger types. Apple need to have USB-C. Apple fought this like hell. I mean, they just went crazy at this for years and years and years trying to get out of this. And the European Union has successfully been able to ensure that the next Apple iPhone 15 has to have USB-C. Of course, what does that mean for Apple? They're not going to make a phone only for Europe. All iPhone 15s have USB-C. And would you believe last week when they, when they were announcing the iPhone 15, they said in that auditorium in Silicon Valley, and the next iPhone 15 has USB-C charging, <laughs> followed by applause. And I was like, what are they applauding? Apple fought tooth and nail against this, and now they're celebrating it. Yeah. The I, reason I'm mentioning it is, of course, they can be effective, right? Yeah. I'm a little bit cynical about the EU when it comes to airlines, because I always feel like they have a vendetta against low-cost airlines, especially Germany. They do. And anything they based do. there, which, which really frustrates me because low-cost airlines are the airlines enabling more Europeans to fly than any other airlines. They're making it affordable. They're making it easy. You won't be able to get a five-euro Ryanair ticket if they have to include hand luggage on that ticket. One thing that's also been in the news that we, I think we wanna to talk to you guys about is the fact that low cost airlines are seeing less demand than full service airlines, which, which makes many people scratch their heads. What was your theory, Alex? And then, then I'll talk about mine. So I think that the reason why we're seeing, and this, this comes off of the back of basically, as we've now entered the fourth quarter, many airlines are putting forward their forecasts for the upcoming quarter and also into the new year. And the legacy carriers, so the traditional carriers where most things are included in your ticket, those carriers are projecting a stronger couple of uh, quarters ahead. So this quarter coming up and the beginning of the new year than the low cost carriers. My theory in a nutshell is that I think that passengers have had it. They have had it with the whole, you know, pay to take on a 10 kilo hand luggage, but you can't <laughs> take on a thing before. Unless, of course, you're using the uh, duty free bag trick that I highlighted in episode <laughs> three, three. Was it? Yeah, three? I think so. Yeah. All these little extras that you then get to the final 
part of the payment. And as you say, yes, low-cost airlines are facilitating and making air travel affordable for everyone. But but in often cases, by the time you've added everything that you need, for example, a seat, uh, <laughs> suddenly you suddenly you you are at a point where well, hold on, this is more expensive than the legacy carriers. I think that is one reason. I think people are thinking, you know what, with this legacy carrier, everything's included. I mean, even that's a trend that's moved, that's changing. But in some scenarios, everything is included. And so I'll just book with them for less hassle. What, what, yeah. What's your take on it? So my take is more of a an economic take, which I, I think yours is a small part of it. But more generally, I think it's interesting to look at who flies full service airlines versus who flies low cost airlines. Of course, mm. people mix, they go back and forth. But the main demographic for low cost airlines is low income people, people who are looking for the cheapest possible ticket, especially in markets where they have the choice. So with the current state of the economy, who is suffering most from uncertainty, price inflation, all types of things, it's the people with the lowest incomes. So actually, the people who are flying legacy airlines for now aren't suffering that much economically, but the people who have it the worst who might have, you know, previously been, okay, I'll take a trip to Spain, I'll take a trip here. Oh, there's such a cheap Ryanair flight, you know, might as well just do it. Now they're second guessing that and they're thinking, mm, maybe I should stay home. I don't really have the money for what this trip will cost as a whole. I think that's a huge yeah, part of it. That's absolutely true. And you're right. The low cost airlines will fill the pinch of the cost of living crisis and inflation and all the other economic downturn factors first. But at the same time, air travel is continuing to boom in parallel with inflation being so high, with the cost of living being incredibly high in so many markets. It's this kind of weird imbalance where on one side, and we saw this over the last summer, where you had the rhetoric across Western media was about energy bills and cost of living being so high. At the same time, they were saying tens of thousands of passengers are <laughs> stranded because of this strike. And yeah. people saying, hold on, I, I thought there was no... So, it's, you know, People are still traveling in mass numbers and they are still paying so much more yeah. than they would in 2019 at the same time as the economy being in a bad shape, as the cost of living being really, really high. So it is this weird imbalance that still stems back from the pandemic in that people are still prioritizing and wanting to travel. And if they're going to have any disposable, any kind of any allocation of their funds that they can choose to apply to something X, Y, Z, they're applying it to travel. Yeah. Again, aviation just becomes a reflection of the general confusing state of the economy. Some people say, yeah, right. recession is coming some people say no so it's everything is very unclear we, we could discuss this a lot more but we'd love to move to your questions so the first question is from rita she asks a super interesting question the gist of it is do we think there will be more airline consolidation in europe her specific question is about tap tap portugal and whether or not they will actually be acquired by iag the group that owns british airways iberia what's going on lufthansa group is also constantly looking to expand they just placed a bid for uh, ita in italy so what do we think i think that consolidation is inevitable they are constantly assessing the weaker players of the market and there are 
tons of weaker players in aviation. They are constantly looking and eyeing up those kind of standalone, smaller airlines flying point to point. I'm thinking in Europe, for example, your your Volatayas, um, <laughs> Azores Airlines, and so on and so on. And as a result, I think that that any smaller airline is particularly vulnerable from being swooped up and absorbed into these big airline group brands like the Lufthansa Group and IAG. I mean, the one thing I prefer about IAG's acquisitions as compared with Lufthansa Group is that at least IAG seemingly allow the airline's individuality and brands to live on and there to yes. be clear differentiation. And the root networks each. live on, which is super important because Lufthansa is just like, oh, Brussels Airlines, say goodbye to the, to all these routes. Lufthansa Group Airlines are all Lufthansa in different colors. And that's yeah. it. You just want to say to them, just be honest. I am <laughs> When I'm flying from Aust on Austrian Airlines and transferring onto Brussels Airlines and moving on to a mainline Lufthansa, I've basically just flown Lufthansa three times. And that's yeah. it. And of course, the CEO of Luft Lufthansa, Karsten Spohr, would, would love nothing more than to have it all as Lufthansa, you know, oh. rather than have to keep alive these airline brands, which is a bit different to how IAG do business. And I, I think so. I prefer that. At the same time, IAG have serious, have had to answer serious questions over the competition laws and whether these are the whether their acquisitions are in the interests of consumers with things like them trying to, to swoop up, which it seems they're going to be able to do so, Air Europa. And now assessing a tap Air Portugal is like, whoa, 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 whoa. How is this good for the consumer? You think that you are flying on competitors who would therefore challenge each other with a fair price war and so on. Nope. They're all the same company. IHG, I cannot, that's, this is what confuses me about the EU because. Wait, IAG or IHG? IAG, not IHG, yes. Yeah, <laughs> not, not the Holiday Inn kind of group. <laughs> IHG is buying up all the airlines. Oh, God, can you imagine? Holiday Inn Air. But the, this is what frustrates me about the EU is how can you allow one company to own three airlines in the same country in Spain, Vueling, Iberia, Aero Europa. That's terrible for consumers. And level, level. Oh, four. I mean, level is, oh God. Uh, level's confused. But it is. Yeah. They cannot be allowed to get TAP as well. There needs to be competition. And it's always a question of should, should government step in and subsidize airlines to let them survive? Or should the markets get to play out? But this is, again, why low-cost airlines are so important on short haul in Europe, because if the airlines had their way and there's more consolidation coming, obviously, prices would be ridiculous. But there have to be forces keeping them down. So when it comes to flights to Asia, luckily, you know, Chinese carriers are increasing capacity. They tend to be the ones to really keep prices down. So hopefully we see those drop again in the near future. And within Europe, it's low-cost airlines going to the Middle East. It's Pegasus and uh, Wizz Air nowadays keeping prices down from what they could be otherwise. It's, it's very delicate and allowing just unlimited consolidation is is crazy and it's interesting because as as passengers you're booking a flight and you're thinking okay iberia and voiling both both fly this route okay iberia's fare looks a bit high maybe i'll check what it is on voiling you know most seemingly unaware that these two are basically the same airline that they yes. are they are manipulating you as a passenger into thinking that they're competing with each other and then of course you get to the airport and you realize that actually it was a coach well as a passenger they would get to the airport they realize it was a coach all oh. along meaning that it's the same flight so in the end you know more often than not 
consolidation is not in favor of the consumer in terms of keeping things competitive, which keeps the price low. Yeah. And airlines love to confuse passengers. I mean, even I'm confused by why is there Welling and then Iberia Express? What's the purpose of having two basically low cost airlines? Let's not even start on why Iberia Express operates so many flights for Iberia. Remember that it's operating flights for Iberia that are not being operated by Air Nostrum. Look, I've got a second question here. This is from Marco. He wants to know what we think of Japan Airlines' brand new, recently unveiled A350 premium cabin, specifically in the first class. Looks amazing, obviously, but but the big thing that I'm just like, what? I cannot wait to try this. In a first for the aviation industry, headphones will no longer be required in first and business because Japan Airlines, together with Saffron, the seat maker, has introduced a system whereby the audio comes out of your headrest. How does that work with other people not being bothered? That That's going to be a very interesting test. I don't know if I like this. I mean, do, does that not remind you a little bit of those? Why am I thinking of those old recliner massage chairs that you would find in the malls like 15 <laughs> yes, years ago? And I think if you side. put your hood, yeah, if you put your head back, there would be speakers going. I mean, that wasn't pleasant. That wasn't pleasant even for the person sat in the seat, not least anyone else around. Never mind in the confines of an aircraft cabin. However, Safran do amazing things. So maybe that surprise us maybe it will you know in the japanese attention to detail and and japan it, as a culture is hardly about you making know, it's hardly noise the opposite of discretion <laughs> and yeah it's hardly about making noise exactly so i'm yeah. sure they will have thought this through extensively it's fascinating if if any other country had introduced this i would have been skeptical but given that it's japan Can you imagine yeah. us <laughs> i know it's yeah, okay <laughs> gotta stop flying us carriers completely but no <laughs> oh my it, god this is this is the most trustworthy country that could have possibly introduced this, where I think, okay, it's not going to bother other people. The thing that I like wearing headphones because of the noise cancellation, it drowns out the cabin yeah. noise, the engine noise. Of course, an A350 is quiet, which I think is partly yeah. what what makes this possible to begin with. But there's two things. Do you, there's two things I want to talk about. They're kind of that what how, as airline aircraft have increasingly, I mean, reached a new level of sophistication when it comes to onboard noise. The engines are quiet, the cooling systems are quiet. Firstly, when you have these noise cancelling headphones or earphones on throughout the flight, so for example, with myself, I use AirPods, okay? Do you ever get that sensation when you switch it off? You're like, oh, what? Yes. Like, it, I, it's this noisy? Like, it's what? jarring. You turn it off and you're yeah. like, oh, you're like, this is what it sounds like? Yeah. yeah. So there's horrible. that, okay? And then the second thing is, do you notice how, I always notice this on, on A350 flights, I just noticed this on the two 17, 18 hours stints to and from LA. Uh, LA manufacturers like Airbus have created this problem as a result of providing a solution to one <laughs> issue, they've created another problem. So aircraft is so quiet now. I'm in, let's say, two alpha in row two, and I can hear nine kilo. <laughs> cracking up in laughter. I can hear them. I mean, laughter, you know, that, that's quite funny when you hear someone laugh. 
but I could hear someone snoring, blowing like their crazy. nose. Is the worst. Uh, I mean, I didn't even want to talk about the whole sneezing <laughs> and, and and all of yeah. that thing. That makes me want to be sick. But the snoring was so noisy. Now, of course, that snoring will have been drowned out by the whooshing sounds that you typically get on an aircraft that don't exist on planes like the A350. So you can hear everything. And finally, the clanging of plates and cutlery. Or I could hear somebody. What sounded like they were so it was breakfast and I assumed they were having the yogurt and she was scraping and scraping and scraping and I can hear it above my airpods and I wanted to say to her sweetheart there is no yogurt <laughs> remaining please I mean just sweetheart order 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 another one so that we don't have to hear this scraping and scraping of the spoon and again that is a noise that will have been previously drowned out by the whooshing on an older aircraft but this is i think the solution to this is technology again one thing i i'm amazed by in the air lounge finair's new business class seat is that you sit down and it's almost like a little sound pocket like as soon as you stand yeah. up and your ear reaches above the edge of the seat suddenly you hear all these sounds that you can't hear in your seat because you're just surrounded by fabric it's yeah. so cool how they managed to do that i love, I love that, that seat i love it we haven't spoken about it in depth and we should because that's such an innovative different seat but i i had flown it from helsinki to doha and, and was was Actually, I had flown London, Helsinki, Dallas on two two sectors, and I, I thought it was uh, an amazing seat. And I was so skeptical before. I was yeah. like, this seat's not going to, you know, whatever. But amazing. It is. It is. Well, listen, let's wrap up there. Thank you again. If you have already subscribed, followed, or liked, depending on wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't yet, we'd love to have you join us here as a new episode drops in your feed every Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It's been great to spend this time with you. And we shall see you next week on air. Bye-bye. See you later.